Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. All right, good morning. Well, welcome to Sunrise Church, and welcome to all of you who are watching online. My name is Steve Garcia. I'm the lead pastor here, and the reason we're calling this sermon series Asking for a Friend is because sometimes there's topics that kind of make us tense up, and we're too afraid to talk about them, so we say, I'm asking, you know, for a friend, and that's the idea, but just because something's hard to talk about doesn't mean we should avoid it altogether. So we want to be able to press into some of these hard issues. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about abortion. Uh, But today, our topic of discussion is transgenderism. We want to do so with both clarity and compassion. So what is transgenderism? Um, How should a Christian respond to transgenderism? What does the Bible have to say about it? That is where we're going this morning. And so let's start by defining terms. The American Psychological Association uh, says this, Uh, about transgenderism. It says that transgender is an umbrella term. I think we have that slide. We got it? All right, I'll just, I'll read it to you. It says that uh, transgender is an umbrella term for, oh, there it is, for persons whose gender identity, gender expression, or behavior does not conform to that typically associated with the sex to which they were assigned at birth. So at the heart of transgender ideology is the belief that sex and gender can be separated. So uh, according to this line of thinking, um, sex is something that is determined by biology, whereas gender is determined by society. It's a social construct. And so many transgendered individuals experience what's called gender dysphoria. So think if the word euphoria means feelings of exhilaration and joy, the opposite of that is dysphoria. Many experience extreme negative emotions towards their body for a variety of reasons and therefore conclude that the only way to solve the problem is to uh, pursue living a different gender. Often you'll hear people say, "I, I have the wrong body or my psychology does not match my biology, and therefore, um, in order to live my most authentic self, I need to find out what gender expression that is. Well, not everybody agrees with this line of thinking, and you don't have to look very far to see just how explosive of an issue transgenderism is. It's right in the center of the culture wars. It's a major topic in the entertainment world. Uh, with reality shows that celebrate drag queens or the drama Pose that has the largest ever transgender cast on television. It's a major issue in the education world as public schools battle over what gets taught in the classroom. It's a major issue in the social media world as uh, transgender influencers have chronicled their own journey as millions of viewers have watched, uh, watched on. It's a major issue in the business world as massive brands like Budweiser and Target have lost billions of dollars due in part to boycotts uh, because of these brands' unapologetic support of the trans community. It's a major issue in your workplace as many of you have jobs that are now implementing DEI training, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you're wrestling through how do I toe the company line without compromising my values. 
It's a major issue in politics. States are battling over issues like gender-affirming care and what's the government's role, what's the parent's role. It may even be a major issue in your own household. Maybe you personally are wrestling with this issue, or you have a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a family member or a friend who's coming out as trans, and you're trying to figure out how to deal with this. I've spoken with people in this church whose children have opted for cross hormone drugs that have already altered their physical appearance. There are families in this church whose children have opted for gender reassignment surgery, and they're grieving as parents as if their child has died and has been replaced by someone who kind of looks like their child, but is going by a different name, is assuming a different gender, and threatening to cut the relationship off if they are not fully supported. For families such as this, the issue of transgenderism is not just some fringe thing out there, it's everyday reality. So when we talk about something like this, let's show a little compassion because someone sitting near you right now may be secretly carrying a lot of pain and they need to know that Jesus loves them, that he could redeem any situation, that he is our only hope and he could transform us from the inside out. Okay, all right. Speaking of Jesus, what did he have to say on the matter? Did he address it or was he silent? Well, now, while Jesus did not use the word transgender explicitly like he did with many issues, he got right to the core of the matter. And for that, I want to look at the New Testament gospel of Matthew 19. And here's what it said. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So as often was the case, when Jesus was out teaching in public settings, he was interrupted by a small but powerful group of religious elitists called the Pharisees. They were the protectors of culture, and Jesus was messing everything up with his teaching. And on this particular day, the issue they wanted to challenge him on was divorce. And so they went on to say this in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? What they were trying to do was to bolster their case of divorce by appealing to an Old Testament hero, Moses. So back in the Old Testament, God gave a complex set of laws to Moses to teach the people, and these laws were meant to govern God's people. They are meant to give them a, a way to live that would honor God as well as draw their hearts in their need for God. And what they, what they were trying to do at this point is they were trying to bait Jesus into a, a conversation on culture. They wanted to see if Jesus was going to disagree with Moses. And if he disagreed with Moses, then he disagreed with the law, and then he disagreed with the lawgiver, and he couldn't be trusted. The whole thing was a setup. Jesus didn't take the bait. And I want you to hear how he responded. And for obvious time reasons, we're not going to be able to get into everything Jesus had to say about divorce, but he did address the issue of gender. Check it out. This is what Jesus said in verse 4. He said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. What's fascinating about Jesus' response to this question was he affirmed a strict binary understanding of gender, that there's only two options, male and female. 
And then uh, on top of this, he gave three different examples of how this plays out. But in all of this, what's interesting is he built his case not by making a cultural argument, but by making an argument from creation. He said, at the beginning, the creator. Hey, let's get out of culture because Moses was 1,500 years before the time of this. Well, a lot happens over the course of 15 centuries. People change, behavior changes, acceptance changes, what we know about life changes. Jesus didn't get into all that. He took him back to the beginning and said, this was God's original intent for how to flourish humanity. And then he used three different examples to double down on this. He used the terms male and female, two genders. Then he used the terms father and mother, a male parent and a female parent, and then man and wife. Different word there, man, than male. This is referring to a human of male gender and wife, a betrothed female. Everything Jesus said was intentional. He never said anything accidentally. And by giving these examples, what he was doing was not only affirming a strict understanding of gender, but also reaffirming God's plan for sexuality, his design for it. God designed sex to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in a marital relationship before God. And anything that falls outside of that, whether transgender or heterosexual or anything outside of the man-woman marital relationship, according to God and affirmed by Jesus, is sinful, and it needs to be addressed. And this has been the moral code that has guided the world for thousands of years, and lately we just tossed it out for a moral code we just invented. And for many people, you might hear them say, okay, fine, I understand the historical, biblical position on gender and sexuality. Got it. I just don't agree. I don't believe the Bible. And if that's the case, then let's step outside of the Bible, and let's step into the secular world, particularly in the world of science. Some of you may be familiar with the name Richard Dawkins. He is a prominent atheist who most famously wrote the book The God Delusion, which is built upon the premise that belief in a personal God is equivalent to being delusional. So hardly a spokesperson for Christianity. Well, he was pressed on the same issue, and this is somebody who's dedicated his life to evolutionary biology. Listen to what he had to say. But um, it's very upsetting the way this tiny minority of people has managed to capture the discourse and to um, really talk arrant nonsense. What's the answer to it? Science. I mean, um, there are two sexes. Um, you can talk about gender if you wish, and that's a subjective. I'm not well, when people say there are a hundred genders, for example. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested in that. As, as a biologist, there are two sexes, hmm. uh, and that's all there is to it. So that is a, an atheist uh, who, because of comments like this, um, had, his, had an award, a humanist award of all things, that were, avoided, that were give, awarded to him. He had that stripped and he was labeled as a bigot and, and transphobic. And the reality is to even question transgender ideology will often uh, get, get you branded. Uh, people like me, a pastor who holds to the Bible as the source of truth and the standard by which we measure right and wrong, can very easily also be branded as just another white, cisgendered Christian spewing his hatred. I would not be shocked if this video got shut down from YouTube because it violated the hate speech standards. 
Uh, but that's the reality of the world in which we live. You know, there's another voice in the secular world that's spoken into this. It's a, one of the leading doctors in the world on gender pediatric medicine. It's a doctor out of Finland, and her name is Dr. Katiala, I think, um, Kaltiala. And she did a study this past February that determined that the percentage of young people who grow out of feelings of gender confusion is 80%. If you are the parent of a young person, pay attention to this. According to this study, that young people, by the time they reach the end of puberty, 80% of them grow out of these feelings. That's four out of five people essentially saying this is a phase. Friends, puberty is one massive transition. I remember going through puberty. The first thing on my body that grew were these fingers. The rest of me was little. So I'm this skinny little kid with these giant hands and my thoughts are swimming. My hormones are raging. I'm, I'm insecure. And yet I'm supposed to know my whole identity? There's so much pressure on this emerging generation that you have to know everything about who you are right now. Friends, I don't know everything about who I am, and I'm in my <clears throat> 20s. <laughs> but the fact is, is that we're always changing as people, and according to this doctor in the secular world, 80% of, of kids grow out of these feelings without any medical intervention by the time they reach the end of puberty. But there is a, a massive movement in the medical community that children should be treated with gender-affirming care as early as age six. And a lot of those are, are cross-hormone drugs or puberty blockers and, and some being pushed toward gender reassignment surgery. Another voice in the secular world who's spoken out about this is a comedian and talk show host by the name of Bill Maher. Now, this is a self-proclaimed agnostic. He made a film years ago called Religious, which all out mocked religion, the bulk of which were Christians that he made fun of. So again, this is somebody outside of the biblical Christian position. And I want you to hear what he had to say. Now, understand that part of his shtick is sarcasm and humor, which can be offensive. And so you have to wade your way through that and be discerning. But I thought what he had to say was, was insightful. Check it out. But kids do also have phases. They're kids, it's all phases. The dinosaur phase, the Hello Kitty phase. One day they want to be an astronaut, the next day you can't get them to leave their room. Gender fluid, kids are fluid about everything. If kids knew what they wanted to be at age eight, the world would be filled with cowboys and princesses. <laughs> I wanted to be a pirate. Nobody took me seriously and scheduled me for eye removal and peg leg surgery. I don't understand parents who won't let their nine-year-old walk to the corner without a helmet, an EpiPen, and a GPS tracker. And God forbid their lips touch dairy. But... But hormone blockers and genital surgery? Fine. Yeah, that's coming from somebody who is, who is in the secular world and is raising the question of, is this really what is best? And the fact is that all sin is, is an offense to God. It's offensive to him. Transgenderism 
is a sin. Let's not mince words. But it's equally offensive to God as any of the sin in my life and in your life. Selfishness, pride, disobedience, the love of money, the list goes on and on and on. But this is what's so important to understand. While all sin is equal in its offense, not all sin is equal in its consequence. And the reality is if you are somebody who is heading down a road of transgenderism or supporting someone, you are on a collision course for massive consequences. In his book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, Dr. Frank Turek wrote about a woman who was going through gender reassignment surgery, moving from woman to man. This is what she had to say. Gender transition surgery is not the magical solution that doctors, the media, and the culture describe. And she went on to share her story and the the horror of going through a surgery like this. I want to read just a section of this book to you. This is what she went on to say. During my own transition, I had seven surgeries. I also had a massive pulmonary embolism, a helicopter flight ride, an emergency ambulance ride, a stress-induced heart attack, sepsis, a 17-month recurring infection due to using the wrong skin during a failed phalloplasty, which is a surgery to give her the male sexual organ, 16 rounds of antibiotics, three weeks of daily IV antibiotics, the loss of all my hair, only partially successful arm reconstructive surgery, permanent lung and heart damage, a cut bladder, insomnia-related hallucinations, and frequent loss of consciousness due to pain from hair on the inside of my urethra. All of this led to a form of PTSD that made me a prisoner in my apartment for a year. Between me and my insurance company, medical expenses exceeded $900,000. It pains me to read something like that. It pains me to think that somebody is going down this road thinking this is the solution that is going to address the issue of the soul. And it doesn't have to be that way. Can I offer another alternative? What if you're not in the wrong body, you're in the wrong mind, and we could change our minds with far fewer consequences than changing our bodies? If we're saying my psychology doesn't line up with my biology, then why are we seeking a biological solution to a psychological problem? We need a psychological solution to a psychological problem. And I would take it a step further, a spiritual solution. The Bible talks all about the mind. There's any number of passages we can go to. I want to show you this one from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. He said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. According to the Apostle Paul, that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, his spirit, his Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to transform the way we think It can completely give us a different way to view ourselves, view others, view the world. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight, but but surrendering your life to Jesus is just saying, "I, I don't know if I got all the answers, but I'm putting my life in your hands, Jesus. I'm trusting you that you will take my life and do with it what you want. And when that happens, that's when the transforming begins. And I am a firm believer that if this transformation is to continue, that we have to rely on Christian counseling. Christian counselors are so good at helping address issues of the mind.
Now, maybe you are somebody who's followed Jesus for some time, and you are, you are in, in full agreement. You, you, you believe that, that transgenderism and any expression of sexuality outside of the covenant of a man-wife marital relationship is sinful. You're there. If that's the case for you, there's still one massive question that's left hanging. And that is, if Christians are called to love, how should a follower of Christ love someone who is transgendered? I wanna show you a picture up on the screen. This is trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Some of you may be familiar with this person, most recently in the headlines for being a part of a kind of a botched Bud Light campaign. Um, so so this, this, this is somebody who chronicled their own transgender journey on TikTok, was hailed as a national hero, even received a personal visit from President, or personal invitation from President Biden to visit the White House. So here's my question for you. As, as you look at this picture, what emotion do you feel? Is that the enemy? If we just got rid of Dylan Mulvaney, would that solve the problem? If this person walked into your living room for your small group, would you kick him out? Would you say to Dylan Mulvaney, change your outfit first before you come back in and study the Bible? The question that every follower of Jesus has to wrestle through is this. How do you love a transgender person? And for that, I want to transition things back into our conversation. Pastor Anthony, questions for you. What would you say? Give God a hand clap, amen, as we get situated. <clears throat> Remember, as we're having this conversation, if you have any questions, please text QUESTION at 909-281-779. Seven. <clears throat> so the first question is, how should a follower of Jesus love someone who is transgender? First of all, um, we shouldn't be labeling or titles or um, categorizing, if you will. Um, if you look through the life of Jesus, Jesus loved all people. Um, he sat with the Pharisees, amen. He um, sat with tax collectors. So if you're asking me, how do I do that? Just like I love someone who's an adulterer, a liar, a thief, and everyone else, I love them with the love of Christ. Yeah, well said. And I think I'd add to that. One of the things I think we have to be careful of is lately, uh, many of us have fallen under the illusion that love means agreement. That if you love me, then you have to agree with me. But is that really love? Uh, I mean, any parent wrestles with this, that what love, what love really is, is doing what's best for the other person, even if it's not what's best for you. I know as parents, when, when kids create problems, a lot of times parents are like, oh, well, just, I don't care, just do whatever you wanna do. Why? Because it's best for me. I don't have to get involved, it doesn't mess me up. I don't wanna have tension in the home. But is that what's best for them? And sometimes what we believe is to love another person is to just simply agree with everything they do. Even in the word gender-affirming care, that's baked in. But we would never apply that to any other situation in life. For example, some of you may know somebody addicted to drugs. Should we perform addiction-affirming care? Just say, hey, you know what? You just need to keep using drugs in order to live your most authentic self. That actually wouldn't be loving. That's the opposite of love. Mm. Love is doing what's best for the other person, you know? But I think on top of all of this for me, Pastor Anthony, is 
compassion is so key because sometimes we could look at a transgender individual and just think, man, they're just so disgusting and so sinful. The difference between their sin and my sin is theirs is much easier to spot. And I, I, I think that if we could stop dehumanizing them and realize, okay, have I ever put something in my life instead of turning to Jesus? Mm. Have I gone into bad habits? Have I turned to food or alcohol or pornography or affairs to try to fill something in my life? Well, why are we making this person out to be the, 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 the chief of the sin parade? Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all in there, but it's important that in that compassion, we also have conviction that the word of God does call us to live to a different standard, and that doesn't mean I'm always gonna agree with you, but I could do so in a loving way. And that's so good because you've heard this phrase, um, we can agree to disagree. There's no such thing. It's either you agree with me or you don't agree with me. But just because we disagree don't mean we can't have a conversation. Jesus said he comes in grace and truth. I can still stand on God's truth but still show you grace. Jesus presented that in Luke chapter 10 when, it, when he talked about the parable of the Samaritan where the religious leaders and those who work for the churches walked past this person and didn't offer any kind of aid. But he said the Samaritans showed pity, which means compassion to that person, and he touched the need. Mm. So our responsibility, as you said, Steve, is to come alongside someone in grace and truth and compassion and work through this with them, just like I want Jesus to work through my issues with me. Amen. Amen. Well said. Again, you can be texting your questions at the number that's up there, but here's one that came in, Pastor Steve. What about people who are born as intersex, don't they choose their own sex? Yeah, so this is a, this is a, this is a, common, a common issue that comes up when you're having this conversation. So intersex is a, an extremely rare condition in which a person is born with both the male and female genitalia or their, their genitalia is, is ambiguous. Um, so first what I would say is it's important to understand that even a person in this rare situation who has both genitalia still has uh, either male chromosomes or female chromosomes. You, the reality is that no matter what you do, you could do as much surgery as possible. If you are born as somebody who produces sperm, you cannot ever produce egg. If you are born as somebody who produces egg, you cannot ever be somebody who produces sperm. It's not possible. Uh, and so there's other ways to do it, but I think what's important is, I was just reading this past week, the, um, the National Library of Medicine, which is a secular medical journal, uh, suggested that intersex people, the, the, the percentage of people that, that fall in that category is like 0.018%. So we are talking about the, the, the outliers for sure. That's not the national conversation. The national conversation is I choose my own gender. And so it's important that we don't take a fringe issue and make it the, the, major, the major piece. Um, and so I, I would say let's make sure that when we're talking about this, uh, even in that case where, where somebody has to choose their, their genitalia, there are other medical tests that can be done to, 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 to determine gender. I like that. And also is how do I respond to someone? Um, it's interesting when it's not your problem. Yeah. You have all these critiques and all this opinion, but that's something someone else is battling. Mm -hmm. So our responsibility as Christians is to meet them where they are, just like Jesus met you where you were, 
And it's how do I lovingly come alongside them in grace and truth? We used to be so quick to want to use a hammer and a chisel on someone mm-hmm. instead of allowing God to do the work mm-hmm. and, and, and being present. Yeah. Here's another question that just came in this morning. It says, my sister-in-law is transgender and has asked me to use her pronouns. Is that unbiblical? What do you think? I think it depends on where you are um, in that relationship with that person. Um, does a person really, um, do they believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior? If that's that scenario, then I can approach it from that lens. Um, it might sound something like, okay, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then I can walk them down what Pastor Steve talked about. But if it's someone outside coming to speak to me, it's going to be a whole lot of questions because they didn't just arrive at that conclusion that same day. So I'm going to be like a mirror in front of that person. Why do you feel that you should be called this? Where does this stem from? Like Pastor Steve said, I'm now beginning to try to unpack their thinking because unless someone talks, you really don't know what they're thinking. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to damage the fruit. When I was, um, years ago at my other church, when I was in pastor training, my pastor said, you just don't gut someone right away. <laughs> you got to catch them, skin them, seize them, then fry them. <laughs> Amen. So I'm trying to catch the person with love is what I'm saying. So I have to understand where they're coming from so I can know how can I, uh, uh, um, bring in Jesus into the conversation right. and I'm doing a whole lot of praying while this is going on. What about you? Yeah, I'm not so sure there's a one size fits all answer Correct. in all of this uh, because every situation is going to be different. Um, I, I think one, one thing that's challenged me on this is what, what is the main thing here? Are you compromising your faith by using the pronoun or is there a greater issue of pointing a person toward Christ. So, for example, the Apostle Paul was under the law, man-made, man-made rules, you know, all of these heavy, heavy rules. The Lord saved him out of that. And then he put himself back under it. He said, I become all things to all men that I may save some. So he put himself back under the burden of all these man-made rules for the purpose of pointing people to Christ. So I think that if, if a pronoun is the primary barrier between you sharing a Christ with with another person, like they won't even hear you if you don't address them by what they're asking, then I'd be willing to compromise for the greater good of, of pointing them to Christ. Uh, but again, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a case-by-case basis for sure. Okay, this leads to another question. How should, how do you put it? How should you say to someone who comes out, what should you say to someone who comes out as trans. What should you say to someone who comes out as transgender? Okay, um, well, I think the, the first thing is if somebody's willing to come to you and share with you something that deeply personal and vulnerable, then that says something about you. It says that you're maybe a trustworthy person, and I think this is an opportunity for us to be asking a lot of questions. Um, you said something last, you, you quoted the, the James passage last hour. Remind me again. 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. What a, what a powerful challenge. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, because if I get that and somebody comes out to me, I want to give you all my reasons and I'm going to start hitting you with all the facts and all this kind of stuff. But according to James, I'm supposed to actually be listening first before I start speaking. And I think that doing a lot of questioning would be the first step uh, among others. I've got some, uh, some other thoughts. What do you think? You're absolutely right. And that's why I believe, we and Steve were talking, that's why I believe God gives us two ears and one mouth so we can listen more and talk less. But, but I try to make it personal. What if my daughter Aubrey was to come to me and say, Dad, I'm trans. How would I respond? One, I'd probably be floored, let's be honest. Um, I will begin to ask myself questions. Did I do something wrong? Um, did I not display or really teach Jesus uh, appropriately in the house? So I probably would beat myself down with all that while trying to keep a straight face, <laughs> asking God, how am I going to answer um, this, this question? Right, because if, if you freak out in that moment, that's the last time they're ever coming to you. Right. Right. Um, so I don't want to, again, bruise her. So, again, it's, a, like you said, a lot of questioning. What made you come to this conclusion? Um, I'm thinking, who has she been hanging around? And if you know your children like I know mine, I'm very controlling. Amen? Um, Aubrey's in this new phase of where she has this different type of dialect. Oh, Dad, please. Um, like she lived in a valley or something. Uh, and I'm like, okay, when did we go live in the valley? What that lets me know is, seriously is, she has new friends around, and someone, someone's behavior has jumped on her. Mm. So I want to look for those different mm. episodes so that I should know my child better than I should. So it shouldn't be a surprise what I'm saying, but I also have to find a way with grace and truth and be the salt to her mm -hmm. while not hurting her. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful and convicting, too, for me as a parent because, you know, what we're talking about is reactive. What do I say if they come out as trans? I think we could also talk about some preventative measures, too. I mean, if, if I don't talk to my kids about this, I could promise you somebody else will. And, uh, in fact, even this morning on, on the right end, uh, I was having a conversation with my 9-year-old um, who, you know, like many kids, watches YouTube. And some of you may know Mr. Beast. He's like this really big uh, YouTube personality. Um, well, Mr. Beast has this friend, another YouTube influencer, who is going through a transition from male to female. And I was talking to my son, and he was saying, I asked him, do you know what transgender is? He's like, I think so. And then he talked about Mr. Beast in this video, and he said, I saw a guy wearing a wig and lipstick, and he goes, I just thought it was like a challenge. I'm like, like a dress like a woman challenge? Or like, what, what, what is this? He was just processing through. And I think what's so important for me as a parent, I've got to take some responsibility here that I need to be fostering an environment in which I could talk to my kids about personal things. And don't you dare make fun of people. Because think about this. If you have a household that is sarcastic and it makes fun of people and they're secretly struggling with the thing you're making fun of, right. they're never going to come to you. They're going to go find somebody else. Uh, but I think if it, if it, if it does happen, I, I think one question I may ask would be, um, when did you start feeling this way? And if you didn't always feel this way, that means your feelings can change. Mm. 
Is it possible that your feelings can change back again? Uh, and I think that's important for, for us to understand and again, to work through also the patients, uh, going, referencing that study earlier, that 80% of kids grow out of this by the end of puberty, that sometimes this is just the, the messiness of walking a kid through a struggle. This is a very interesting one I would love for you to answer. As a public school teacher or educator, how do I follow the California law and show the love of Jesus Christ without compromising my faith? Yeah, I think, mm. again, this is the, the question that you have to wrestle with on this is are you trying to be salt and light in your workplace? Now, in the education world, it's incredibly difficult on what you can say and what you can't say. Um, and if you're forced to teach something that you don't believe, look, this isn't the first time we've been down this road. I mean, ha ha remember 20 years ago, the big issue is, are we teaching evolution in public school versus you know, creation, that kind of thing. And how many Christian educators have stood in front of, front of a class and taught uh, evolution? Uh, and I know of educators who say, hey, listen, I'm gonna share with you a theory uh, and, and have taught it in, in that way. And I think that there's ways in which you can teach a curriculum without necessarily buying into it. Um, but for some people, that's a big issue to wrestle with. And if you think it's, it's something that will cause you to compromise your faith, I think the question you have to ask yourself is, can I continue in this job? Easy for me to say, right. because I, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not going to lose my job as a pastor on this particular issue. But there are plenty of people out there. And I think the other thing to think through, and this is just a way of measuring ethics when it comes to values of uh, compromising my faith. Are you still keeping the main thing the main thing? Jesus Christ crucified in my place that when I place my faith in him, I have a personal relationship with him. He lives in me. He transforms me. Can you still keep that? The other thing is, if you're willing to walk away from your job, what impact does that have on your family? That's, you have a responsibility to them as well. So there's a lot of questions to wade through, but I, I think that Christian educators, especially Christian public school educators, need our support and they need our prayers because they're in the front lines and they don't, they don't get enough credit for standing up for their faith in really tough ways. Uh, and I just want to say, as a parent of a kid who goes to public school, uh, I want to just cheer you on, educators, because I know you got a tough job. And I think to add to what you're saying, that's brilliant. And I believe also um, most things are caught, not taught. Mm. Um, what I mean by that is people are watching your behaviors, what you're doing, how your lifestyle is being living, being lived, excuse me. And they will begin to mimic you earn more credibility and more street credit based on how you live your life. Um, uh, when I work for the police department, it's all kind of things that happen underneath that roof, amen? And, and you have all type of personalities and different types of people. So, but once they know who you are and what you stand for, you become be known as who they see on a daily basis. I was known as the pastor. Oh, here comes the pastor. So they wouldn't cuss around me, or they would cuss and say, excuse me, pastor, I didn't mean to say that, you in the room, or whatever the case may be. So more things are caught than taught. So I believe another thing for the educators in the room, you just keep being that light. Mm. And it's gonna shine so bright that the children are gonna just gravitate to you. And if they open the door for a conversation, game on, okay? But you can't compromise 
your faith. You can't be this way and in that way. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, I want us to, to conclude our time with, again, there's hope that we serve a big God who can make a lot of changes. And I wanted to show you a, a video of a man by the name of Walt Heyer. Years ago, he went through uh, gender reassignment surgery, and it was such a difficult experience that he has started a website called sexchangeregret.com, sexchangeregret.com. And he's leading what is a, a movement of a lot of people who are now detransitioning, having made this already. And I wanted you to see his testimony. Check it out. Hi, I'm Walt Heyer. Uh, I started my transgender journey when I was four years old. I was being cross-dressed by my grandmother, and as a result of that, I struggled with my identity all the way through my life, and I eventually underwent gender reassignment surgery, lived eight years as Laura Jensen, until I found the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed and restored my life. I started sexchangeregret.com because I really wanted to find out if I was the only one that had regret. We had 350,000 people come to the website in 12 months, and I knew then that this was huge. Most of the people, regret doesn't occur until five to 15 years after. So we're looking at the people's lives early on, two and three and four years after they had the surgery and report success. But we don't talk about these individuals 20 years later that wants to commit suicide. There'd probably be many more of them coming out like I am, except they've committed suicide. They died. The Lord wants the transgender community in the church. The Lord wants them to hear the truth, that something happened to them that was horrible. But the only way to really escape pain in your life is turn it over to Jesus Christ so that the pain goes away. You know, it's never too late to be redeemed and restored by Jesus Christ. Amen. A very, a very um, controversial topic, transgenderism. And you may be in this room struggling with um, that sin, or you may know someone who is in that lifestyle and you're trying to find the right words to say to them. Um, it begins with a conversation. So again, if you have questions, we couldn't cover everything today. Um, type question at 909-281-7797 and then we will prompt you to ask the questions and those questions will get back to us as pastors. But sin is sin and you might not be caught up in transgenderism but maybe you're a liar. Maybe you haven't been the faithful husband you should have been or the faithful wife. Maybe you steal. Whatever the case may be, I want to read this one couple of verses to you because I want to see if you fall within this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual morale, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor sellers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here it is. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What am I saying? We're all sinners saved by grace. 
So don't try to label, don't try to categorize. Sin is sin. And I want to talk to those first who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care what you're battling. I don't care what you're facing. If you don't get that correct, nothing is going to work for you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to get to know him. If you once were on Jesus' team and you kind of went off and did your own thing, I pray that this morning you will come back home. So let's give some time and space for those if they want to accept Jesus Christ. But while I'm praying for them to come to Christ, I pray that you will also open up your heart and your mind asking Jesus, what else can you do to follow him better? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads, please. I want to talk to those, again, who don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior or someone who needs to recommit their lives to him. As I say this prayer, I pray that you repeat after me in the silence of your heart and truly mean it this time. Simply say, Jesus, I'm broken. I need help. I believe that you sent a God that you sent your son Jesus Christ just for me. I might not have might not have all the answers, but Jesus come into my heart. Holy Spirit begin to change me from the inside out. This morning I commit my life to you. Thank you Jesus. That's my prayer in your name. Amen. If that was your prayer this morning, I want to say congratulations and welcome to the family. But I want you to do an extra step. I want you to text NEXT at 909, the same number, 281-7797. Um, but if you're very bold, after service, please go outside to the NEXT STEP table. We have people that want to have a conversation with you about what you did today. And for the rest of us, we all got some work to do. The problem is our issues are in the inside. But if God was to turn you inside out, what will we see? I pray that you begin to work on that thing so that we can be better followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for showing up, for showing out. Father God, continues, continuously minister to our hearts and our minds while we're still here. Help us to recognize that we all have work to do. And it begins with you, Jesus. We thank you. We love you. As we transition into tithes and offering, Father God, we pray that those who have to give, may they give with a great heart, a loving heart. But may we all give you our heart this morning. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. 
And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.